Two days. Two days. And two days, hopefully, is finally going to be over. <laughs> was it you, Mitch? Because you, I don't hear you say amen too much. <laughs> no, that was right. <laughs> In two days, we're finally going to know something, hopefully. In two days, we're finally going to know Hopefully, who the president is going to be in our country for the next four years. Hopefully, we're going to know in two days whether he's going to be a Republican or a Democrat. Hopefully, we know whether it's going to be someone we voted for or someone we oppose. Hopefully, we're going to know in two days who's going to control the House and the Senate. Lord willing, hopefully, in two days. We're going to know all of these things. And if I dared to ask you this morning who you thought was going to win the election, I'm curious to know what you might say. But maybe more important than who is going to win the election is the question of how are we going to behave once it's all over? How are we going to treat each other? How are we going to represent Jesus Christ? Where are we going to be when it comes to our faith in Christ? I believe that those are more important questions that we need to be asking this morning instead of the question of who do we think is going to win the election. And the reason why I say that is because let's just be honest about it, brothers and sisters, when it comes to this kind of stuff. When it comes to political stuff, when it comes to political parties, those things are very emotional things for us, right? Oh, yes, they're emotional. Even above sports. Even above our careers, even above what our kids are currently learning in their Bible classes. Even above evangelism, even above Bible reading for many of us, this election is where all of our time and energy is focused. It's something that many of us are really emotionally invested in. It's something that many of us are really worried about. It is something that for many of us, if it doesn't go the way we want it to go, we're going to get real upset. We're going to get real mad and we're going to lose a lot of sleep. In fact, it is often the case that for many people. Even for many Christians, their intense level of emotion concerning presidential elections find their way being poured out on social media. Have you noticed that? Now, for me personally, and many of you know this about me, if you don't believe me, you can fact check me on this by going to my social media page later, my Facebook page. Many of you know that when it comes to me and my Facebook page, I only use it for three, for three specific reasons. First, I use it for evangelism. I use it to, to promote sermons and Bible class videos and step-by-step -step videos. And, and articles. Secondly, I use my Facebook page to post pictures of my beautiful family that I'm so proud of. And then thirdly, I use my Facebook page to update people on positive things that are going on in my life. Like, for example, the occasion when I had the opportunity to come and work with this great church. Those are the three things that I use my Facebook page for. But 
for many other people, they, they use Facebook for a lot more than I do. For many other people, in addition to those things, they use their Facebook and social media, other social, social media pages to talk about politics. To talk about who they're going to vote for and why you shouldn't vote for the other person to bash the political party that they don't agree with. That's how many Christians use social media. And I'm going to be honest with you, my dear friends, the devil loves that. The devil absolutely loves that. He loves that because he's very smart. He has good understanding. He knows that as Christians start becoming more vocal about politics than they are the gospel, he has a better chance of dividing and conquering them. He has a better chance of disrupting local churches. He has a better chance of hurting their influence with the world. The devil really understands the opportunity he has. During a time like this, and since that's the case, I think it's important that we talk about this a little bit. I think it is important this morning in our study that we spend a few minutes talking about the Christian, the Christian, and the 2020 election. I think it is important that we spend a few minutes talking about the disciple or, or, the, or the kingdom citizen and the 2020 election. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. And don't you worry, don't you worry. I'm not going to be talking with you about political ideology in this lesson. I'm not going to be talking with you about who you should vote for. I'm not going to be telling you who you should cast your ballot for. That is a personal decision that you're going to have to make yourself. You see, as a preacher, and I'm a preacher, as a preacher, my responsibility to you and to the God of heaven is not to get involved in politics. It's not to get involved in things that have to do with Republicans and Democrats. Instead, my responsibility as a preacher is to stand here and tell you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to tell you about the name of Jesus Christ. It is to tell both the saved and the lost among us what Jesus requires of them in their daily lives. That's my responsibility to you and to God as a preacher. And so this morning, I want to do my best to fulfill that responsibility. This morning, I want to share with you three words, three words that as Christians, we need to remember as we get closer to the day when we're going to start appointing leadership in our country. The first word that I think we need to be mindful of as we approach Tuesday is number one, we need to be mindful of the word unity. The word Unity. Unity is a word that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds over the next few days. We really need to be thinking about this word unity today and over the next few days, because as I said earlier, presidential elections have the potential to divide us as God's people. They have the potential to bring about bad feelings towards brethren. They have the potential to bring about hostility between brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you noticed that? 
I'm reminded of a church that I am acquainted with that several years ago has something very divisive take place over a presidential election. Several years ago, on the Wednesday night, following a presidential election, a few disciples decided to wear t-shirts to Bible class with the face of the person that they voted for on them. They decided to wear t-shirts to Bible class with the face of their preferred presidential candidate on them. And let's just say that them doing that didn't make the lives of the elders easy that night. Let's just say them doing that did not lead to peace and unity and a great time of Bible study. Instead, it led to hostility from the brethren who voted for the opposite person. That's what happened among these brethren. And I wish that was the only example I I had to give this morning, but unfortunately, it's not. Unfortunately, over the last several weeks, I have been disturbed, deeply disturbed by some of the stuff I have been seeing on social media from brethren, not here, but from brethren I know around the country when it comes to this election. Over the last several weeks, I have watched in total horror Christians from around this country aggressively take sides in this election, and then get into some of the worst arguments I've seen in my whole life. I've actually seen Christians get on Facebook and spend several paragraphs trashing the candidate that they are against, and then they go to war with each other. They go to battle against each other. They actually have the audacity and the gall to do this in front of thousands and thousands of people. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe, do you really believe that God is pleased with that kind of stuff? Do you really believe that when Christians argue with each other on social media about politics, that God is being glorified in the highest possible way. Do you really believe that doing that falls in line with these scriptures that's on the slide this morning? I want to show you these scriptures. Will you read with me the Bible this morning? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm just going to read these verses. I'm not going to give a lot of commentary on them because I think they're pretty easy to understand. I just want the Holy Spirit through the scripture to speak to us on this matter. Listen to what Peter says to Christians in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Peter speaking to Christians. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? Why are you a people for God's own possession? So that you may do something, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to go now to John 17. Follow me here. Go to John 17. Listen to what the Lord prayed for. Not long before he will be crucified for the sins of the world. John 17, 20. After praying for the apostles, 
Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's talking about people like me and you, future followers of Jesus. People who believe in Jesus based on the testimony of the apostles. Verse 21, that they may all be what? One. You see that? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. The Corinthian church was a divided church. We know that. Look at what Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no what? No divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. One more place. Follow me to, to Ephesians. I love Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, notice, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's not talking about tolerating sin, but talking about tolerating the, the personal, maybe even cultural differences among us. Verse 3, being diligent, working hard to preserve the unity, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. The one body, there is a reference to the one universal spiritual body of Christ, the church of Christ, the church that belongs to our Lord. There is one church, one universal body of saved people. And one spirit, one Holy Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope. Our one hope is the hope to go to heaven. One hope of your calling, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, that is the source of faith, the gospel, one baptism, one baptism that is being administered today for the forgiveness of sins, that is water baptism being administered by disciples. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see what the Bible is saying in all those verses I read. Let me ask you something. Does Christians debating and arguing over politics on social media help them accomplish what these verses say? Does that, does that help them? Does doing that help them do what the Holy Spirit says they should be doing in all those verses. You and I both know that the answer to that is no. Absolutely not. You see, regardless of what happens on Tuesday, regardless of if the person we voted for wins or not, we need to remember these verses. We need to have our minds immersed in these verses. We need to understand that what we are part of as Christians is so much bigger than politics. It's so much bigger than being a Republican or a Democrat or independent. You see, if we are Christians, if we are disciples, the Bible says that we are part of a royal priesthood. We are priests unto God. We are part of a holy nation. 
We are part of a, of a special people unto God. We are part of a kingdom that will last when America and the rest of the world is no more. We are part of the one body that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter four, the body that is bound together by something so much stronger than politics and even our U.S. Constitution. Regardless of what happens Tuesday. We need to remember that, brothers and sisters. We need to remember that the unity we share right now, the unity we have in this place that's so important to Jesus. That's something that Jesus prayed for not long before being crucified. That is something that was heavy on his heart on, on the night he was betrayed by Judas. We, we need to remember that. We need to remember what Paul says in Ephesians 4, how our unity, the unity we have at this great church it is fragile. It is delicate. It is something that we must be diligent to preserve, Paul says. It is something that we got to constantly work at. It is something that we got to constantly pray about. It is something that the devil will try to use any avenue he can to, to take away from us. He'll even try to use politics if he can. As Tuesday approaches, as the time approaches when we're going to start electing new leaders in our great country, Let's remember the word unity, okay? Let's remember what the Bible says about unity. And then secondly, let's also remember the word influence. The word influence. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care where you come from, where you live around the valley. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, guess what? You got influence. You got influence with somebody. You got influence with people in your community. You got influence with people on your job. You got influence with people in your family. You even have influence with the people you're connected with through social media. And someone says, well, Sean, why do you keep mentioning social media this morning? Well, the reason why I keep mentioning social media, my dear friends, is because whether we like it or not, social media it's a big part of our culture right now, right? It's a big part of our society. It is one of the main ways that people in the 21st century are communicating with each other. Take, for example, Facebook. Okay, take Facebook for an example. Did you know that there are about 3 billion active users of Facebook in the world right now? Did you know that? Did you know that there are more people on Facebook right now than the population of China and India and the United States combined? Did you know that? Did you know that in the United States, around 7 out of 10 people use Facebook, and of those people, about 75% of them visit their pages at least once a day. That's the kind of world we're living in right now. That's one of the reasons why Mark Zuckerberg is so rich right now. Social media is a big part of our culture, and we need to be mindful of that. We need to be very mindful of that. We need to understand that while it is wrong to write, 
and loot and kill people and destroy people's property, if this election doesn't turn out in the way we want, it is also wrong to get on social media the day after and try to burn the world down. It is also wrong to get on social media the day after and display spirits of arrogance, pride, and division. You see, we got to understand that just because we are passionate about something and just because we have the right to say what we're passionate about on social media, that doesn't mean we should say it. That doesn't mean that it is the right thing for us to say. That doesn't mean that it is appropriate for thousands and thousands of people to see. You see, while there's nothing wrong and sinful about having disagreements about politics and political parties, we need to understand that social media is not the place to debate those things. It's not the place to argue about those things. You know, and you know why I say that? The reason why I say that is because doing that sends a bad message to the world. It absolutely does. It doesn't fall in line with what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. You know this verse. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says to his people that your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, not your fussing and fighting over politics, but so that they can see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Remember, remember what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21. Jesus prayed that they, talking about us, future followers of his, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ demands of us as his people. Notice how the Lord Jesus Christ has high expectations for us. He demands that we have a positive impact in the world. He demands that we have positive influence in the world. He demands that when people see us and how we interact with each other, they see exactly what love and unity and glorification of God is all about. That's what they should see. I don't know about you, but for me, I got a lot of people on Facebook who are my friends, quote unquote friends, who are not Christians. You got a lot of folks in your friends list who are not Christians. I do. I got a lot of people like that. And what do you think they would think about me and my claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ if they saw me constantly fighting with you and arguing with you over politics and political candidates? What do you think my non-Christian friends would say about that? You think they would be inclined to want to glorify God after seeing that? You think they wouldn't be inclined to ask me about my faith and about the peace and the joy and the optimism I have as a Christian? You think they would want to ask about, hey, how can I be a member of the church of Christ? You think they would see the things that Jesus talks about in the Bible, oneness, unity, love? You know they wouldn't see those things. You know that instead of seeing that kind of stuff, they would see the opposite. They would see divisiveness. They would see two Christians fighting with each other, having negative feelings and ill will towards each other. They would say, well, well, look at those Christians. Look at those so-called followers of Jesus. They argue and they fuss and fight. They can't get along with each other. Why in the world would I want to be part of what they're part of? 
Why in the world would I want to be a Christian? Why in the world would I want to be a member of the church of Christ? They let politics divide them. That's the kind of stuff they would say. And so how about this? How about this? How about instead of getting on social media, and again, I'm not saying I've seen this from anybody here. I'm just trying to motivate in a positive way this morning. How about instead of getting on social media and arguing and debating about stuff where we're not going to change anybody's mind? How about instead of doing that, we, we do what the Bible says in a verse like Proverbs 17, 14. Proverbs 17 and verse 14. Solomon says the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Here Solomon is saying that with the obvious exception being promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to do the best we can to avoid unnecessary strife. We need to do the best we can to abandon quarrels. We need to avoid doing things that are equivalent to letting water out of a dam. That is exactly what arguing about politics on Facebook does. It's like letting water out of a dam. We need to be mindful of Proverbs 17 and verse 14 over the next few days. And we also need to be mindful of Proverbs 17, 27 and 28, where Solomon says, He who restrains his words, even the words he types, has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Notice what Solomon is saying here. Notice how Solomon says that it is a wise thing for us to have self-control when it comes to our words. He says that having self-control over our words is absolutely necessary. It is prudent. It is a good thing to do. It is something that is necessary to do to be pleasing to God. This verse would apply not only to verbal communication, but also communication through social media. So let's be mindful of that verse. Then what about this? What about Ephesians? What about Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, where Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Don't we live in evil days, right? So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice how Paul says as Christians, we need to be good stewards of our time. We need to make the most of our time. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is, and we need to do the will of the Lord. That's what Paul says. And so practically speaking, that means that instead of spending all our time arguing about politics on social media over the next few weeks, how about we do things that are very productive? How about we do things like go through the church directory and find out who hasn't been here in a while and contact those people and see how they're doing. How about we maybe get caught up on our Bible reading? How about we help our kids do their Bible lesson? How about we finally try to set up a Bible study with our neighbor? How about we spend more time praying for the people on our family talk, in our family talk, who have requested our prayers? That's making the most of our time. 
And don't misunderstand. Don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it's wrong to be involved in politics. I'm not saying it's wrong to be involved in the political process. I'm not saying it's wrong to be on social media. But what I am saying that if we're not careful, debating and arguing about politics on social media can destroy one of the most important things we possess as Christians, and that is our influence. That is the lights that Jesus says must always shine brightly in a dark and sinful world. And so remember the word influence over the next few days. And then finally, also remember this world, this word. Remember the word control. Remember the word control. Remember that regardless of what happens on Tuesday, my dear friends, God is ultimately in control. You agree with that? God is ultimately in control. You know, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians say they believe in that statement. But you know, the truth is, for many of them, they really don't. They really don't. For many Christians, they really don't believe that God is in control. You know what they really believe when you dig down deep? They really believe that the government's the one in control. They really believe that the government is the one that is running the show. They sincerely believe that when each election rolls around, if we could just get the quote unquote right people in office. If we can get the right person in the executive branch, if we can get the right people, both the House and the Senate. If we can get the right Supreme Court justices who hold the most conservative views, then guess what? Everything's going to be okay. All the mess in this country is going to get cleaned up. Everything's going to get turned around. We're going to head back to the good old days when more and more people want to serve God. For a lot of Christians, they really believe that. And I got to tell you, that's very unfortunate. That's very sad because, my dear friends, that's not even close to reality. It's not even close. You see, while we certainly need to be involved in the political process, while we certainly need to vote and pray and respect and honor and submit to the laws of our government, while the Bible clearly teaches us to do those things, we also need to understand that regardless of what happens Tuesday, it doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee anything. You know why? Because we're voting for people. We're dealing with people. We're dealing with fallible human beings who have the ability to lie and change their minds. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a senator or a congressman or a president or a Supreme Court justice. History has taught us this over and over again. And that is why our trust after we vote, our trust needs to be in God. It needs to be in Jesus. It needs to be in the fact that no matter what happens Tuesday, no matter who occupies Washington, Jesus will still be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Jesus will still be reigning over his throne. Jesus will still be the ruler over all creation. Jesus will still have authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. That will not change. I don't care what happens Tuesday. Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew 28, 18, all authority, not some, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Psalms, Psalm 47 and verse 8, God reigns over the nations. That would include our nation, right? He reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. That was true in the time of the psalmist and it's also true today. Psalm 113 verse 4, the Lord is high above the nations. Again, that would also include our nation. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Revelation 17 and verse 14, these will wage war against the Lamb. And I believe that these there is a reference to the Roman Empire. That's my belief on that. I think it's talking about how during the time of the first century, the Roman Empire was going to war against the kingdom of God. Christians in the first century were facing serious persecution. Some of them were even being killed for their faith. They were being killed because they would not bow down to Domitian, the emperor, as a god. War was taking place between Rome and the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them. Why? Because he's Lord of Lords and he's King of Kings. He's a Lord to the highest degree. He's a King to the highest degree. And those who are with him, that's us. Those who are in his army are the called and the chosen, the faithful. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. And like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, he reigns. You see the point of those verses, my dear friends? You see what I'm trying to show you this morning? Do you see that how regardless of what happens in this election or in any other election, we are blessed to live and see Jesus. The Bible says Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. Jesus is the one who is ultimately in control. That was true 2,000 years ago during the time of the mighty Roman Empire. And guess what? It's also true today. Regardless of what happens Tuesday. Regardless of who wins. Regardless of if things get as bad for us as they were for the time of the Christians in the first century. Regardless of if we start getting fined or thrown in jail because we preach the truth, regardless of how our culture's moral compass begins to shift throughout the years, regardless of what happens in this election or in any election, please take comfort in the fact, sleep well Tuesday night, because God is in control. Jesus is in control. Jesus is still the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And if we stay on his side, if we stay in his army, we will ultimately prevail. We will be victorious. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that we are part of, it will never be destroyed. Well, there's nothing wrong with voting and being part of the political process. Please remember God is in control. Please put your trust in God. Please put your trust in the gospel. You know, and I want to say this very quickly, and we're going to close. Let me just say this. If we really want to change things in our society, if we really want to move people's hearts 
away from abortion and homosexuality and all these other things that so many people love to participate in, that instead of putting our trust in those in Washington, we need to put our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and get busy teaching it. We're the key to all this. The gospel, not laws passed by men, is the remedy for man's sin problem. It's the remedy for man's heart problem. It is the remedy to a culture that is clearly drifting further and further away from God. So let's get busy teaching the gospel, no matter what happens this week. Thank you for your attention. I really appreciate it. May God bless you. May God bless our country. This morning, we've talked about the sovereignty of God. We've talked about the sovereignty of Jesus. We've talked about how he is universal ruler over all things. And if, somebody, if there's somebody here this morning who gives their, needs to give their life to Jesus and his powerful gospel, you have an opportunity to do that this morning. You have an opportunity to believe in him, repent of your sins, and obey his commandment to be immersed in water. You have an opportunity to come back to him if you've left and wandered away before it's too late. If we can help anyone here, come serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't wait. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.